Today's message was recorded live at the Middletown Seventh-day Adventist Church of Louisville, Kentucky, a safe environment where people relationships become kingdom relationships. Find us online at www.friendlychurch.com. We have, as I said, so many things to be grateful for. Um, And um, we started out great with Joshua's men this past Sunday. And then I had, yeah, all kinds of things going on this week. So God's been with me, and I know he will be. But um, one thing that I committed to do this year is that I will daily pray for my elders, that I will weekly pray for all my ministry leaders, and once a month I will pray for the entire congregation. Took I printed out. They're all of members and friends from E-Adventist. It was so fascinating to kind of see in my mind each and every one of you. But guess what? There is about 40% more people out there that we miss. They're not here. If you like to pray for all our congregation this year, I invite you to do so with intentionality because if we don't do it intentionally it will not happen and now we're going to go back to our series we all have problems and hope not just funny problems however we all have hope Real problems, real solutions from a real God. This series is this series is brought to you uh, by the Southern Union Ministerial Department and LEAD, Leadership Evangelism Accountability Diversity. Elder Roger Hernandez is the author who wrote a brochure, and you will have one of those in two weeks as we will conclude this series. Uh, Today, we'll be studying on faith. Next week, we'll study on failure. The following week, we will study frenemies. (laughs) So make sure you put it in your calendar to come back. These lessons uh, are intended to help you understand, deal with, and overcome life's hurts, hang-ups, and negative habits, and to bring you hope and healing. Each lesson contains four parts based on the acronym HOPE, H-O-P-E. And if you have any questions, feel free to address them in writing. Uh, my ministry email is lightyourhope at yahoo.com. The first section of each sermon, and you will see that today, and by the way, our deacons are encouraged to yeah, pass on the, the study guides because we will need them in just a minute. Uh, the first part of each lesson, of each sermon, is an introductory part in which we bring a relevant introductory thought. We bring a, a quote or a story or a scripture. The second part, the open, uh, focuses specifically on opening the Bible and learning what the Word of God has to say about a specific lesson. Then we practice 
And how we practice? Well, uh, in this part of the lesson, we turn our knowledge about an issue into practical ideas on how you can implement it in your own life. Truth is, most of us, many of us, are educated well above the level of obedience. So if you're only listening and not applying, these lessons are only partially successful. Anton Chekhov said this, knowledge is of no value unless you put it into practice. Each time we will have practical suggestions you can take with you and implement it in your life. And in power is the last part of each lesson. That's the part where that ends the lesson. It answers the question, what's next? It also connects the lesson with the good news, the gospel. And you'll go home to answer three questions. What is the good news of this lesson? What can I learn? What can I do with this information this week? And how can my life be changed for the better as a result? So let us pray once again as I ask the Lord to be with me and I present today's lesson on faith. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that this morning you will give me a double portion of your grace and power that I could present this message as you want us, want this congregation to have it. And Lord, I pray that you will give us clear minds. I pray that you will give us open hearts to receive it, but most of it to be able to practice it and by practicing it to make a difference, to make a difference in our lives, to make a difference in our family lives, to make a difference in this church life and in our community life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Faith is a necessary part of life as a Christian, but here are three excuses you can use to get out of having faith. The cold feet excuse. I would have more faith, but that would mean I'd have to give God control of my life. And what if he messes it up? I'm not ready to take that chance. The self-confidence excuse. I do have faith. I have faith in my ability to live a good Christian life with only a tiny bit of faith in God. Does that count? And finally, the contract excuse. I would have more faith if God would promise me in writing that nothing bad will happen to me and my life will stay exactly the same as it is. The Christian's Guide to Excuses, wishing you good luck and great excuses. Do you have any excuses for your faith? Do we have problem with faith? Do you? Do I? Charles Blondin, the famous French tightrope walker, whose great fame came on September 14, 1860, when he became the first person to cross a tightrope stretched 11,000 feet over a quarter of a mile long across the mighty Niagara Falls. From both Canada and U.S., people came to see him. He walked across several times, 
each time with a dangerous act. He crossed Niagara on tightrope in a sack. How did he do that? I don't know. On stilts, on a bicycle, in the dark, blindfolded. One time he even carried a stove and cooked an omelet in the middle of the, of the rope. A large crowd was gathered, and the buzz of excitement ran along both sides of the rivers. And the, 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 the river and the crowd ooed him and awed him as blonde and carefully walked across one dangerous step after another. One time, he pushed a wheelbarrow holding a large bag of potatoes. Then at one point, he asked for the participation of a volunteer. He suddenly stopped and asked his audience, do you believe I can carry a person across in this wheelbarrow? The crowd enthusiastically yelled, Yes! You're the greatest tightrope walker in the world. We believe. Okay, Blondin said. Who wants to get in the wheelbarrow? <laughs> as far as the story goes, no one did. So, do you believe or you actually have faith? Is it only a belief or is it a trust? Where do you stand when it comes to your faith? Do you have faith? There are four questions that people like us have asked themselves throughout history. And now you can pull your study guides and you will have some fill in the blanks that you can take home with you and use it for later. Questions are as follows. Where do I come from? How should I live? What's my purpose? Where am I going? Good questions, right? The good news, the gospel, answers all of them. See, the gospel is good news, not just good advice. What's the good news? Let's open the Bibles and find out. We're coming to our open part of our lesson. There are five significant components of the gospel. Number one is, what are we? How does the Bible describe the human condition? Romans 3, verses 10 to 12 says, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one, there is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none. There is none who does good. No, not one. Wow. Here Paul, the great apostle Paul who founded Christianity, the greatest missionary of all times, quoting David and Solomon when he writes to the Roman church. He writes to the Roman church about humanity, about us as human beings, fallen human beings, all of us who have sinned. And he says, we are all unrighteous, 
We don't understand. We don't seek after God, but rather have turned aside and away from God. We're no good. No one. Not one. Pretty depressing, right? <laughs> Very negative. But there is hope. That's what we learn in this series. We all have problems. Yeah, we have a problem of sin, but there is hope. Paul, too, in you move to Ephesians 2, verse 1, just a few pages to your right. And now he counteracts and tells what happened. And he says in Ephesians 2, verse 1, and you, he, In you he made alive who are dead in trespasses and sins. So who are we? Yes, we are fallen human beings who once were dead in our trespasses, but we were made alive, made alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, verse 5 of Ephesians 2 says. The second component of the gospel is we are accountable for our actions. See, every action and decision has a consequence. Hebrews 9.27 says, And as it is appointed for humans to die once, but after this, the judgment. In other words, yes, we may die only once, but there comes the judgment. Think about it. We talked about this in our Joshua's Men this past Sunday. Accountability. Accountability is built within us, into us. We demand it from our civic leaders, from our teachers, from our family. In a macro sense, God will too hold us accountable for the decisions we have made. And if we've made bad ones, we may suffer some consequences. But if you want to not be judged for your decisions, the best decision you can make today is to realign your life with Jesus, is to let Jesus be the driver of your life, to confess your sins to Jesus, and He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all our unrighteousness. 1 John 1.9 confirms that. Because on our own, on our own, we are unable to make it right on our own. That's the third component of the gospel. What did Jesus do about our condition? Colossians 2.13 says, And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made a life together with him, having forgiven all your trespasses. That's the hope right there, my friends. Hope is in nothing and nobody else but Jesus. Component four of the gospel, we can accept or deny a historical fact, the death and resurrection of Jesus. Let's read 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 8. I'll be reading from New King James Version of the Bible. Moreover, brothers, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which you stand. 
stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried and He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. And get this, verse 5 to 6, important. And that He was sin, S-E-E-N. People saw Him. That he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. And verse 6, after that he was seen, S-E-E-N. He was physically seen by over 500 brothers at once, of whom the greater part remained to be present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me also as by one born out of due time. What is Paul saying here? He's saying that based on historical data, we have in our hands more evidence of Jesus being seen walking on this planet than we have for any other Greek philosopher. If you really want to watch something that will go along to what I just said, is the case of Christ movie that, that came a few months uh, out now. But yeah, the case of Christ confirms that scientifically there is more evidence for people who have seen Jesus and wrote things down than for people who have seen any of the Greek philosophers. So this Jesus who promised to cleanse us of all our sins through the blood, through his sacrificial death, he lived and he died. It's proven historically. You and I have a choice. We can accept or deny this historical fact. I pray you accept it and you accept him as a personal savior. And five, the fifth component of the gospel is accepting the gospel results in life transformation. Wow. First Thessalonians 1, 5. For our gospel did not come to you merely with words, but in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Or other translations say, in much assurance. The gospel, my friends, comes with power because there is power in the name of Jesus. That is why this society, that's why our culture and people everywhere try to get away the name of Jesus. Because there is power in that name. Actually, I was, right, I was uh, running yesterday afternoon. I felt it was a great day for run. So I did the 5K, 5K running. And I was singing. I had through my mind this song, There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. Wonderful. There is power in the name of Jesus. And uh, last night I was having a Bible study. Um, Mark Finley's Search for Certainty. Lesson one ends with this thought. The truth 
if received as it is in Jesus, has the power to transform lives. So the fifth significant component of the gospel is accepting the gospel as it is in Jesus results in life transformation. A changed life is not means, the means of salvation, but is definitely the result of understanding and experiencing the gospel in your life. So, the question is, do you have faith? Or do you have problems with faith? And you may say, Pastor Marius, what is faith? Well, we're going to go into uh, our third section of our study today. The practice part. My friends, faith is another word that has the potential to transform and to change your life. According to Logman Dictionary of Contemporary English, faith is a firm belief, a trust, a complete confidence. It's a belief and trust in God. That's how Logman Dictionary of Contemporary English defines faith. Based on the Bible, where would you go to define or to find a definition for faith in the Bible? Hebrews 11, right? Hebrews 11, verse 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Note the following points we get from chapter 11 about faith. And, and, and you can read that at your leisure, at your home. Faith is rational. By faith we understand that the universe is not self-existent. Rather, it was designed by the Creator in verse 3. Hebrews 11 verse 3 says, By faith we understand that the world were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. Then faith depends upon revelation. In a series of verses in Hebrews 11, God has borne witness, He has warned, He has called. Just look at this. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice. By faith, Enoch was taken away. By faith, Noah being divinely warned. By faith, Abraham obeyed. Faith depends upon revelation. Faith also involves trusting our maker. Hebrews 11 verse 7. When Noah was warned of God... About a flood, even though he's never seen a flood, he prepared the ark. Abraham, too, he left Chaldea not knowing where he was going. So, clearly, the unseen God is a vital component of true faith. Because faith is an action word. While many seem to entertain the idea that faith is only a mental conviction... This chapter of Hebrews, Hebrews 11, reveals that faith, in order to be valid, must act. Verse 4 says, by faith Abel offered a sacrifice. Verse 7, Noah prepared an ark by faith. 
Abraham by faith obeyed the Lord, verse 8. My friends, faith separated from obedience is dead. James 2.26 In fact, faith has two components. The belief and the trust. See, there is a difference. Belief has to do with the mind, while trust is the faith in action. Belief is a mental activity, while trust is a physical action. And I like this second component. James said in James 2, 18, 19, Show me your faith without your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God. You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. So belief is not enough. That's what James says. Faith in action is illustrated by Charles Blondin. That's how we started this message. An amazing story. How many people believed that he can cross over and over Niagara Falls? All of them, right? They all believed. How many trusted Blondin to carry them over Niagara on that wheelbarrow? None. See? There are lots of faith in action stories in the Bible, too. Abraham's story when he was called to sacrifice his promised covenanted son. What did he do? Did he only believe God? Oh, yeah, I think God, you, yeah, I, I believe you, yeah. That's a good idea, right? Yeah, that's a good idea. No, no, no. What, 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 what did Abraham do? He trusted that God knows what he's doing, and God indeed intervened. It was his test of faith. Let me ask you this question. Still a story from the Bible. Very familiar. All kids know it. They're in children's church, but they would know it if I were to ask him. How many of the Israelite armies who are facing Goliath, but doing nothing about it, how many believed in God? How many believed in God? All of them. They all believed. How many trusted God and made belief become a reality? Ha! Only a boy named David. Only a little. Wow. Only a boy named David. Only David believed. Daniel, when faced with the dilemma of worshiping God or facing the lion's dead, what did he choose? He chose to trust God. Faith in God. Action. I remember we read one of those chapters in Alter Ego for Joshua's man. was called Bold Prayers. And Craig, the author of the book, says, It is time for men to behave as bold men, bold Christian men, and to ask bold prayers from God. See, when we accept the gospel, it transforms us. We not only believe, but we trust. And here's the best summary concerning the gospel. Speaking in terms of relationships now. 
Number one, a relationship with Jesus affects our past. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Truth is, we all have made mistakes, errors, wrong choices that have produced pain in ourselves or others. The process of dealing with your past starts with two elements. And they're listed right there, A and B. Confession. When you confess your sins to God, you admit responsibility. And the second element is repentance. When you repent, you recognize that a change is needed. So a relationship with Jesus affects our past. Once we accept the gospel and the truth as it is in Jesus, it affects our past. We cannot stay, we cannot do, and we cannot behave the same way. Second, the relationship with Jesus affects our present. Living as a person who has been forgiven has indeed practical implication. Ezekiel 18 verse 31 says, Cast away from you all the transgressions which you have committed and get yourself a new heart and a new spirit for why should you die, O house of Israel? Isn't it amazing? It is freeing to know you don't have to live shackled by your past mistakes and worried about future issues. And since you have been forgiven and accepted by God, you and I can do the same for others, can't we? And third, a relationship with Jesus affects our future. King David in Psalm 31, 15 says, My times are in your hand. Deliver me from the hand of my enemies and from those who persecute me. My times are in your hand. I tell you, that's probably the hardest to make it from belief to trust. To actually trust God with your future. See, one of the most important ways the gospel affects your life is in helping you to live with the hope of a better future. See, all through the Bible, uh, prophecies are made about deliverance, salvation, and restoration. We, we can know our future is secure when, when we look in the past, when we look at how God promised through prophecies, and they've been fulfilled with such an accuracy. For me, my best chapter in the Bible when it comes to Bible prophecies, Daniel 2, and for that matter, the entire book of Daniel. I mean, take Daniel 9, the longest Bible prophecy. When I see these prophecies fulfilled, they give me hope. It gives me confidence that God is faithful and He will finish what He has begun working in us as well. One night, a house caught fire and a young boy was forced to flee to the roof. The father on the ground below with outstretched arms was calling to his son, Jump, son, I'll catch you. 
He knew the boy had to jump to save his life. But all the boy could see was flame, smoke, and blackness. As can be imagined, he, he was afraid to leave the roof. But his father kept yelling, jump, I'll catch you, son. But the boy protested, saying, Daddy, I can't see you. The father replied, But I can see you, and that's all that matters. Do you, do I trust God, or do we just believe? Or do we behave like this man who fell off the cliff? who managed to grab a tree limb on the way down, then he cried desperately, Is anyone up there? I'm here. I'm the Lord. Do you believe? Yes, Lord, I believe. I really believe, but I can't hang on much longer. That's all right, son. If you really believe, you have nothing to worry about. I will save you. Just let go of the branch. A moment of pause, and then, is anyone else up there? <laughs> when we believe, do we also trust? When Hudson Taylor went to China, he traveled on, on a sailing vessel, and as they came close to the channel between the southern Malay Peninsula and the island of Sumatra, the missionary heard a knock on his stateroom. He opened, and there stood the captain of the ship. Mr. Taylor, he said, we have no wind, and we're drifting toward an island where the people are hidden, and I fear they're cannibals. What can I do? Pastor Taylor asked. The captain said, I understand that you believe in God. I want you to pray for wind. All right, Captain, I will. But you must. You must set the sail. Why? That's ridiculous. That's, that's not even the slightest breeze, breeze out there. Besides, the sailors will think that I'm crazy. But finally, at the insistence of Pastor Taylor, he agreed. Forty-five minutes later, he returned to Hudson Taylor's room. He found him on his knees and he said, You can stop praying now, he said. We've got more wind than we know to handle. My friend, God has all the wind, all the power to propel your life in the right direction. Do you have faith? Do you trust Him with your life? I want to ask you to join me in reading this challenge, this pledge for this coming week. I acknowledge that I am a sinner. I give control of my life to God and ask Jesus to be my Savior and leader. I believe that no matter how awful the sins I have committed, 
God is not mad at me. Instead, my heavenly Father allowed Jesus to take upon himself all the guilt, shame, and rejection I deserve. Today, I choose to follow Jesus. Amen. Amen.